Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you're doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I am here with my co-host, Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning. Today, Dominique is taking a little bit of a respite. So our listeners have just me and you today, Kayla, just me and you. Okay, why don't you go ahead and introduce the topic of what it is we want to discuss today? Okay, so we were just chatting and it seems like the topic is, do we trust our loved ones to take care of themselves and their business? Do we believe that they have the capability? Do we think that they are so damaged that they can't function in any way without us stepping in? And the real question is, what is our role? So it's the underlying feelings that we have and the beliefs that we have about our loved one, and then coming up with a healthy version of what's our role in this person's life. So take it away, Lori. Well, this is a theme that that I hear come up over and over and over again. I hear things like, well, you don't understand. My loved one also has you know, some, some other diagnosis, maybe depression, maybe bipolar, maybe autism, maybe anxiety, really deep rooted social anxiety. So how can I possibly believe, or I don't believe that they have the capacity or ability to change. They really don't have the ability to take care of things on their own which in turn, without saying it and without even being aware of it, if the family member or the ally doesn't believe that this person has the agent or or should have agency over themselves or that they're capable of doing things, it's really hard not to step in or to believe that it isn't your job to step in. Right. I have to. If you think about the person historically, this is why it gets complicated, because if somebody's using substances, then it actually impacts their function. They're distracted at the very least. They're checked out. They're in their escape mode. They're, you know, depending on the reactions of various properties of what they're using, they're going to have different effects. If they have co-occurring mental illness, which just about everybody does on some level, What happens is that the substances mimic the actual diagnosis. So it's hard to kind of cut away. I know when I used to work in the clinic, the psychiatrist would not medicate people until they at least lowered the dose of what they were on because he couldn't tell what the actual symptoms were because the substance use mimics so many of the symptoms of anxiety and depression and trauma. So how do you even treat the person when they're in treatment if they're still using? So it's very complicated. And, and what we're talking about today is how do you begin to think about this and pull it apart so that you're actually really kind of making a better assessment about what's what's happening and also what your role is and noticing 
the ways that you interact, the ways that you intervene, how is that actually working? And I think the biggest question is, is what you're doing helpful, either in the short term or long term? I see this, I think, on a little bit of a different level in that if I am the one who's always doing these things for my loved one, because I strongly believe that they can't, they can't do something, which I want to let my listeners know I have been there. I have thought these things and I still do. Oftentimes I still go there with this, where I do not believe my loved one can accomplish or is going to be capable of doing something specific. So I want to let everybody know I've been there. I've done this. But I also look at it in how do I know my loved one can't do something if I never, ever give them the opportunity to try and it isn't necessarily, and it took me a while to get this. So say I do that, say I open up the door and I start to step back and let my loved one try and they're not moving in the, and I'm not going to say they're making a mistake or they're failing. I'm not, because it took me a while to get beyond this, that it's not a mistake. It's not a failure. It's a matter of, I'm letting my peace and my control go. I'm letting my loved ones step in and have agency over themselves. And I'm letting them try something. And if it doesn't go well in the beginning, I'm going to let them try again and again and again until maybe they make some positive progress. And I see it very much as like what we do when our loved ones were toddlers or were younger. If I stepped in and taught them how to make the bed every time, oh no, this isn't good. This isn't good enough. And I remake the bed every time. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm training my loved one to go ahead and be incompetent because I'll go ahead and I'll step in and I'll take care of it for you. And you don't have to make the bed versus if I step back, the bed isn't made the way I want it to be made. You know, I want, I want hospital corners on the sheets and I want smooth, no wrinkles on the bed. But if I just let my loved one learn and I say something like, you know, you did a great job. Look at that. But what I'm saying is that if I don't let my loved one try and try and try and try again, how do I know that they're incapable? And instead, what I want to do is I want to empower my loved one to learn about themselves. As always, I'm obsessed with the parallel process of ourselves with ourselves. Because if you look, if you're on this podcast, when we look at the craft model, there are specific steps that we're trying to teach people to change their part and how they interact with the person who's using substances. And I could tell you from doing the group for a couple of years now, change is not fast. So we're asking ourselves to change different things, like how much responsibility we take for another human being, how great are we at self-care? Are we communicating well? Are we providing space? and not just in somebody's, as I like to think of, underpants. Like, are we getting are we getting too intimate and not letting them pull their own pants up? And so I feel like we're struggling to learn new things and change and try new things. And, you know, if you look at every single person that's dealing with the craft program right now and trying to work it, 
there's trial and error constantly. And if you look at yourself and look at the microscopic changes that you're making, you then get encouraged to do more, but you can't do it unless you try it and fail first. And I don't know about anybody else, but my my most effective learning tool is trying and failing because I hate making mistakes. And so if I try and fail, then I often will be like, okay, this is not working out. What could I do differently? Now, if you have substance use issues, then you're dealing with shame and self-defeat and not believing in yourself. But this is what we're asking you to do is if somebody doesn't believe in themselves and we do everything for them, then we are in agreement that they're incompetent and they can't do it. We're cutting them off at the knees. Exactly. Basically, the message that we're sending is, oh, you're right. You're totally incapable of doing this and you need me. So here, I'll do it because you're right. You're incapable versus if I get in there and I say, you know what? I am sure that you're going to be able to find what's going to work for you. I'm right here, but I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you take the reins. You're basically saying, I believe in you. I believe that you will find the way. And I think the problem comes in that, you know, oftentimes we're like, okay, I'll try it, but I still don't believe it. The core of me doesn't believe that my loved one can accomplish this particular piece of it. And I am not fond of the anecdotal stuff that's out there, but this to me was a fake it till you make it kind of situation. So I'm going to still send that message to my loved one. I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it, whether I believe or not. Right. Basic affirmation and affirmations. And there's a whole process of science that looks at how your thoughts affect yourself, your behavior, your mood, your actions, and then also how it kind of vibrates in the world. I know that sounds a little woohoo, but if you're if you're communicating positivity, that's what people are picking up for you. Now, we need to acknowledge, and I know we both agree on this one, we're talking about horrendous situations and life and death, and people are at grave risk. But there comes a point when even if somebody's putting themselves at risk, we need to allow them responsibility for their choices, okay? And so with craft, I like to think about craft as we're learning a lighter touch. So it's kind of like this, uh, a dance where, you know, you step in, but you step in lightly. You're not going in with bulldozers and all the answers and rockets and stars and stripes. You're just walking in and gently checking things out. And if you make an offer, it's going to be very subtle. And only if you're getting cues that it's time. And we could look at all kinds of horrendously dysfunctional behavior that our loved ones are doing. Avoidant behavior, not taking care of business. And then as we know, if you don't take care of one small thing, it's this snowball effect. And we're, we can see it like we're watching this crime scene happening in real life. But really what we're talking about is that you cannot learn unless you have an opportunity and the space to do it. So the hope is that by us stepping back, the person then has an opportunity to take up that space of doing and taking care of things. And if you've never learned it, you can't do it. I had a conversation with a family member this week and they were talking about how it seems every time we step back, things get ramped up and it just falls apart. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, I know. And that is exactly what we're asking in craft for you to do 
And that is exactly what I'm talking about because I often say things get often get worse before they get better. But if you don't step back and things don't kind of blow up a little bit, your loved one never has the opportunity to learn. And I know, trust me, I know just kind of what Kayla said, we are talking about life or death situations oftentimes, and it is really hard to step away from those particular situations. But this is why with craft, we want to start with very small behaviors, right? Very small behaviors. But I can think of a time when my loved one had come to me, he was in early working on his recovery. And he said to me, he said, you know, I need a new skateboard. And if I don't get a new skateboard, I'm going to relapse. And that that's what he said to me. And I knew in that moment, I was like, now I can't get him the skateboard because blackmail. this is blackmail. Although I don't think it necessarily was. I think he was trying to say, I need something to occupy my mind and to do, but just, it's almost like he was telling me, this is the wrong reason for you to be working on your recover. It was like, no, it's not the new skateboard. And if it's the skateboard that you need in this moment to keep you from relapsing, what is the next item that's going to come up? Right. And so it was almost like, oh, you really put me in a position where I can't get you the skateboard. I can't do it. And I did. I said, oh, geez, that's really, that's difficult, but I don't have the money right now. And I'm not going to be able to buy the skateboard knowing that he was probably going to go and use. I knew, I knew he was going to. And he did. And he did. And he did. And trust me, everybody out there listening, I mean, I'm sure that everybody can identify with the sick feelings in the pit of my stomach and the, in the angst and the worry and the frustration and the, you know, all I wanted to do was just wrap a ball and chain around his ankles and keep him from moving for the next month. But I kind of, I just let it go. I was still there. I waited, I waited, I waited. And we moved to the next part of his journey and my journey but I knew I couldn't do it in that moment. I could He was basically setting me up in a position where I couldn't do it. But that's interesting because you had already changed the frame because before, if he had said to you, I'm going to relapse if I don't get a skateboard, there was a very good chance you would have gotten the skateboard because anything right. to help you not relapse. We're doing all these things. And I think about this all the time. It's like, if you don't teach your kids skills, then they get out in the world and they're completely dysfunctional. If you don't have expectations of somebody, now I'm not saying that the expectation is, oh, you're going to get clean or whatever. In this case, it goes back to what you said is the expectation is, I trust that you'll do what you need to do. And that's a different expectation than you're going to do it what the way I want you to do it and that you're going to accomplish these goals on my timeline. And I knew that it was not going to go the way I wanted it to go. It wasn't going to happen. So I went into it with this, oh, this is not going to go well. I know he's going to use. And it was really all I could do to contain myself, right? That I have to sit through this. And boy, is this distressful? And is this painful? And how am I going to feel on the other end of it? And I had already kind of 
I started, I guess I started processing the fact that he might not make it through the skateboard incident, through this one small incident. And I knew, okay, I'm probably going to blame myself if the worst possible scenario happens. If it does happen, I may be angry at myself and have feelings of guilt and all of that. But I have a funny feeling that no matter what, if that happens, I'm going to have those feelings anyway. So I'm going to go all in and try and change things up because the end result I'm going to end up with the same feelings if I end up with the the worst possible scenario either way. But what you said is really important is that once you align with what we're talking about, which is the craft program through Allies in Recovery and our website, which walks you through how to do this, which is to me an amazing gift. It's not just, oh, you need to communicate differently, whatever. It's this is a process that you can engage in where you are focusing on changing your behavior, okay? And part of what you're talking about, Lori, is how do you look at how you think about things? And then how your beliefs and your thoughts, which is the CBT part, the cognitive behavioral therapy part of this program, which is how do your thoughts affect the way you interact, the way you feel? And what I like about the CBT is that you're changing your thought process to actually believe that the person is doing what they need to do, even if it's not in agreement with what you think is best for them. So if they're out using or whatever, but they're calling you and saying, I can't do this myself. And you're like, well, I trust that you're going to make good decisions. That takes it out of the blame department for them. Because you're saying, I trust you. You'll figure it out. I love you. you know. And then when the person's interested in treatment, that's when you're available to actually provide a service. You know what else? There's another issue here that I'm just kind of noticing about myself in, in kind of telling you this story, Kayla. And that is that everything that I said about what was driving my behavior had to do with how I was feeling. It did have a lot to do with thinking I'm saving my loved one. So in other words, if I did give in the skateboard, my thoughts were, I'm doing this for him. I'm doing this to help him. But actually, everything I'm doing is to relieve my own emotions and stress and anxiety, every single bit of it. Yes. Right. And it wasn't until I was willing and knew I was going to have to sit with some pretty strong anxiety and distress to say no to the skateboard that I was able to make the change. Remember, parallel process, because if you're listening, your substance is your loved one. You know, you're focused on them, you're attending to them, you're trying to figure out how to take care of business with them, how you're going to interact with them. That's the same focus that they have on their drug. How am I going to get it? How am I going to pay for it? What am I going to do? I think, and hear me out on this, because I think you'll agree with me. I actually think it's not the drug, it's the emotions and feelings and thoughts for both parties, for the loved one with SUD and for the family member that is struggling, that we spend all our time trying to feel better. So our loved ones are trying to feel better and they've they've got the key. The key is to go and use substances and it makes their feelings much, much easier to manage and much easier to, to get along in life. And then there's us and we're also being driven by thoughts 
and beliefs and feelings and difficult feelings that are attached with them. And we're also, I'm constantly trying to find the short fix, the quick fix. Right. Which is what the substance use is. It's like, okay, this is going to make me feel better right now. Right. And that's my point. It's going to make me feel much better right now, pretty darn quick. If I go and get him the skateboard, Woo, I avoided that. Five minutes of being clean. I got it. I got it. We did it. And I just want to add to your analogy, because the issue is that when we're looking to feel better, we're also, let's face it, the real underlying message is if only you would do blah, 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 I would feel better. I would feel better. Yeah. So that's where things get complicated. We look at them and like, well, that was so irrational. And why would you do that? And that hurts you. And why do you want to hurt yourself? And why can't you just blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, if it was that simple then every single person who used a substance and realized it was dysfunctional would be able to stop and stay stopped. But something there's something else going on just with us. It's like we have to go deeper inside of our wants and needs and expectations and separate them from the other person's behavior. Because if we're hooked in with them, we're in trouble. And I think this point is it's so important in that That's what our loved ones are doing. They're experiencing these internal and external triggers that don't feel good, that feel awful, that are pressuring them. It's those emotions, those thoughts, as well as other social environmental factors that are making them feel miserable. So then they go and they use and pretty quickly they feel fantastic. They feel much better. Everything's more manageable. And then it wears off and you have these long-term consequences that are, I don't feel good. That wasn't a great idea, but I can't figure out how to feel better without doing it. The other way, yes. I think it's the same for us. We have these internal thoughts and emotions and feelings, as well as we have environmental factors that are like, oh my God, oh my God. It's the same process because our loved ones What we're asking them to do is to sit with their internal triggers and external triggers without the relief of the positive consequences of using substances. That's what we're asking them to do. We want you to sit in your pain. We want you to sit with this for a long time and you're not gonna get that release with the positive results if you use your substance. You're not gonna get that quick fix. It's the same for us. We also have to sit with our internal triggers, this awful distress, this anxiety, the external triggers that are going on. And we're not going to get the quick fix if we change things up in our own behavior. Like I didn't get the quick fix when I didn't buy that skateboard for my son. Let's put it this way. If I had bought that skateboard for my son, I would have had positive consequences. I would have had the short, quick fix I would have felt much better pretty quickly, but then we would have moved on to the next thing. And so actually what we're being asked to do by changing our behavior, we are not going to get the relief. We're not going to get that quick fix. We are not going to feel better. We're going to have to sit in our pain and our anxiety, which in turn, our behavior is changed, forcing our loved one's behavior to change. When we're doing that, When our loved ones have to change and they're not able to get that quick fix from us, from us, they're now stuck sitting in their distress and anxiety, which raises our distress and anxiety. So it's 
it's like, no, it's, if you can just sit through this distress and this pain and this anxiety, and you can keep sending the message to your loved one. No, I, I think you can do this. I know it may be difficult and I know you may, you might not do it in the path that I would like you to do it in, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to believe in myself that I'm setting up a good boundary. Oh, what a, what a brutal cycle it is. Yeah, so I think it's time to sum up, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so this is perfect because what I was just thinking is that really what we're talking about is short-term versus long-term change. And basically what happens is that it starts with how you think. All of all change starts with how you think, what you're making a commitment to do. And so what we're encouraging you to do is come up with specific tools that you're going to start practicing and using, starting with what you think. So you could be working with your thought process. I trust this person. I trust them. I trust them. It's for them to do. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to step back. That might be the first step, which is a very, very big first step. I am not minimizing that. But if you start with that, okay, I need to change. My job is to change, which again, is you taking your power back. If it's about you, then you have something to do. And we know everybody in this arena likes to be doing something, but you change the vision of, What's the outcome of it? So instead of like, I'm going to do this and some miracle is going to happen, everything is going to change and my loved one's going to go into treatment and stay in treatment and be clean for the rest of their life. Yeah, okay. That's not how this works. But if you start with yourself, with your thoughts, start changing, start doing things differently, then what happens is you you look for the tiny incremental shifts that your loved one is, how they're responding and also how you're changing. So it's not just that we're asking you to do this with your loved one who's using, but do this with your whole life and then see what the outcome is so that you're developing that tool. And then you're looking at long-term change, not the big changes at this moment. That's not lasting, but we're talking erosion versus tsunami. You want to be sand, not debris. And all of this is actually empowering your loved one to have agency over themselves. Because you're giving it to them. Exactly. Awesome. I just want to remind all of our listeners that we still have our uh, 10-day challenge happening on the Allies and Recovery website. So if you complete half of the modules in a 10-day period of time, and it doesn't matter the order that you do the modules in, you just have to complete it in a 10-day period, and you can take our $250 five-hour day training for free. So just bear in mind, it's on there. And I challenge you to go ahead and watch half of the modules. Great. Thank you, Kayla. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.